0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Searching fear of failure on Google returns about 84 million results. Thomas Edison failed 3,000 times with the light bulb. He once said many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Part two of facing your fears is the fear of failure. It's taught by lead teacher Randy Pope and covers Exodus chapter 4 verses 10 through 17 and chapter 14 verses 13 through 15. Thank you for joining us today. Father, thank you for the privilege to
1: to be here now to see your word, to listen, and to embrace. And we pray, give us that ability. Open our hearts, minds. Pray that we might be... uh, recipients of your truth that you would feed us as the real teacher here we thank you in Jesus name amen we're in a series that we're entitling facing your fears last week we looked at the fear of rejection I'm not sure it's been a long time since I remember the kind of response that was uh, to that particular subject matter and uh, very very positive because it meets all of us where we are this week we're looking at the subject of failure the fear of failure And by the way, for next week, the third and final week will be the fear of death. So I don't know that there are three greater fears that we face. I told this story uh, 10 years ago. I keep a file. I know when I use a particular illustration, and I, I know it's been 10 years, so if you were here, permit me to share it again, but it fits so well into this message. I was in high school. I was a senior in high school and I was playing on our basketball team we had a really really good team and it was a number one rated team in this in the state for the largest schools and and um, uh, we were just going right through the season won every game but now we were in a battle it was going down to the last seconds and we were one point behind and we were being upset and so um, as it turned out the other team did what they should never do being a uh, a point ahead and with only seconds left in the game, and they fouled us. It happened to be that I was the point guard of that team, and I was the one that got fouled. Now, granted, they picked the right person to foul, but uh, they shouldn't have done it, so of course they do the typical thing two or three timeouts, whatever left. They just do what's called icing you. And they did a wonderful job at that. And so uh, there were a few thousand people there screaming and hollering. And I remember going up to that line, and something happened that I perhaps had never experienced, certainly to this degree. I experienced a paralytic type of fear. Uh, Something happened to me. I just, it was beyond, I just, I froze. It was so horrible. It was a one-and-one, and, one, and if you don't keep up with basketball, one-and-one one means that you get a front-end shot, one shot, and if you make it, you get a second shot. So here was a chance to tie or with both to win the game. Unfortunately, the first and only time in my career, I shot what's called an air ball. Now, <laughs> if you're not familiar with that, that means that not only did it not go in, but it didn't even touch the rim. It didn't even get there. I mean, failure as you couldn't imagine. We ended up losing only one game that year, and that was the game, and it was because of fear. You know, fear doesn't always cause us to fail, but let me tell you, it's hard not to fail at what you're attempting to do, at least, when there is a fear of that failure. So what? A basketball game. Who cares? Doesn't matter. But we're talking about life issues for so many of us. We're talking about fears in the arenas of vocation, more importantly, relationships. Sometimes it's in the arena of moral obedience. We fear to even obey God because if we do, we sense it's going to mean something we don't like. And we fear that failure. Well, we're talking about the type of fear that derails aspirations that are God honoring. We're talking about the type of fear that actually causes us to hear the promptings of God and to avoid them. We're talking about the type of fear that can turn some of us into what we are now and that we're perfectionists, maybe because of the fear of failure. Because we think, you know, I I can't fail, so it's got to be perfect, and it just drives us to perfection. We can't stand the thought of failure. Or maybe it causes us to be a procrastinator. We keep putting it off and putting it off, thinking if I wait a little while, I'll do it better and have a greater opportunity for success. Well, whatever the case may be, only followers of Christ, and I believe this with all my heart, only followers of Christ have what's necessary to overcome the fear of failure. In the truest sense of the word, And the reason is because we have the right belief system. We have a theology. Now, a non-believing world can have the theology. But the second important aspect of overcoming fear is the power to do so. And that's where we have the Holy Spirit. And only Christians have the Holy Spirit to empower them. So we want to address two questions today. One is, why is it that we fear failure so much... And then having gotten a little grasp of that, it'll prepare us for the teaching of God's Word, which is how do we overcome the fear of failure? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in a few minutes in verse 10, but if you'll hold that, let me address very quickly... The uh, the reasons that we fear failure so much, and we do, we fear failure when first of all we misunderstand failure, and many of us do misunderstand failure in that it's it, it's been made worse than it really is. We tend to think the worst thing in the world is to fail, to try to do something you want to accomplish that you believe in so much, and to actually not succeed. We say, "Oh, it's just horrible." Well, the truth is we've wrongly defined success. Success today is pretty much embraced to be by most people obtaining desirable results. It's all result focus. All right, I want to accomplish something. I set out to accomplish that, and I don't accomplish it. As a result, I have failed. And as a failure, we feel horrible. I failed. Well, the right definition for success should be that of giving one's best to do the best thing, whatever that might be. That really is success. Because of our wrong assumptions of success and failure, we have just assumed that, that we know best what the results need to be. That's not true. Only God knows what the results need to be. We tend to believe, because of our wrong understanding of success, that it's the result that counts. And in God's economy, the result is not the necessary issue. It may well be the process to the result. It's been wrongly portrayed as uncommon. We tend to think that, you know, failures are, you know, people who fail, that's, that's very uncommon for successful people. If you're successful, you don't fail. Well, many of you know the story of Abraham Lincoln. Many would say, well, there was a successful man, 52, became president of the United States. But little do many know that he failed twice in business ventures, failed flat. He lost a a state legislative race, didn't win it. Then he attempted two congressional races, lost them, then attempted two senatorial races, lost both of them. You'd say, there's a failure. But then just a few years later, he's elected president of the United States. But if you really want to check out the stories, go to the scriptures and see God's greats. Do you think for a minute that you find that God's greats have just succeeded, succeeded, succeeded? Never the story. Whether you start with Abraham or Jacob, Elijah, Daniel, Peter, you can just go on and on. Failure after failure after failure and even moral failures. And God still uses it because the failure is part of a process that God uses in our own experience. Oh, yeah, it has consequences to failure. We should avoid it. Never should we seek to find it. But the reality is when God grants it or even after we have failed in something he would have preferred we to do or not to do, we can still find true success. Now, let me give you a second reason marries with what we talked about last week. A second reason that we fear failure so much is because we crave acceptance. Again, we tend to think that, you know, people want successful people around them, and I need to be successful, and then I'll be wanted. You know it's really not true. People don't really, they don't think that way. In fact, failure actually attracts people often more than the successful people. Nobody likes a constant winner. I mean, it just, because we're not, why do we want to see them do it, you know? And I know that from preaching. I'm telling you that I was asked to speak at a conference. Oh, my goodness. And I speak at this conference, and they asked me to speak on failure. And when I asked what that meant, they said, well, we just want you to tell nothing but stories of your failures from beginning to end. One story after the next, after the next, after the next. So I did. I told them nothing but the stories of failures. I've never been loved by an audience so much in my life. It was like, wow. Failures love to be around failures. And we're all failures in many respects. And so it's just not the case. I've... Uh told a story that some of you old timers remember i'm not going to tell it now but i tell the story of being on an airplane and i lost everything one of the pastors and i got in a little deal and it was it was not good and i said things and did things that were just horrible and after i told the story to i thought my shame just to admit okay we're all strugglers and you know, i hate that you have to hear this from your pastor and everybody comes and said man i love hearing that story that was great i said man we love to hear you fail that is so good because may be perceived as if not a failure. Oh, I am. You are. We all are. It's not uncommon. But the truth of it is, it's not that people want to be around you because you succeed all the time. If they do for that reason, you probably don't want those people around you. Leighton Ford, a name that some of the old timers, older folks here, will remember. He is Billy Graham's brother-in-law. And uh, he was the guy to always take Billy Graham's position if something happened to Billy Graham. He was uh, leading an organization that was training leaders of how to share their faith of Christ. And he'd meet with a group in Atlanta in different cities, and he was meeting in Atlanta. And every year when he'd meet in Atlanta, he'd say, can I bring the, the men and women over here and, and have a little time of training and interaction with some of the things y'all are doing here and teaching evangelism. I said, great, that'd be fine, every year. Every year he asked the same thing. Would I get someone I'd recently led to Christ and interview, let him interview that person in front of everyone to kind of learn through them? We'd done it many times. He called me one year and he said, would you do it again? I said, yes. And I said, what about this? I'm about to start meeting with a guy that about the time you get here, I'll be close to the end, but will not have finished walking through the way I help people investigate Christianity. And I don't know where he'll be at that time, whether a Christian or not, but but would you like for me to bring him? Maybe in the middle of the process. He said, "Well, that'll be unique and different. Let's do it." So we did. I'm sitting there with him, and the guy's introduced. And Leighton in a very gracious way, says, "It's so kind. I know you're in the middle. This guy had not become a Christian, and uh, but he 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 he'd been enjoying the process." It's process it seemed and so I'm sitting in the very back of this large group of uh, leaders and pastors and so forth and, and Layton's first question is this you know I'd like to ask you what is it that you've appreciated most what is it about your meeting with Randy that just grabs your attention kind of what's on the big picture what do you think when you think about having met with Randy now I knew I'd labored hard with him and I knew that there had to be something kind to be said and a uh, little embarrassing being in the group while someone's you know giving you an accolade of some sort. And I kind of put my head down thinking, ooh, it's a little embarrassing. And I listen, I hear him say this. Oh, I'll tell you what strikes me most. It's just how little Randy knows. <laughs> I looked up, I thought, what? How little I know, what are you talking about? He, he goes on, he says, well, you know, I come every week. He lets me ask questions and he would, he'd bring a page of 20 to 50 questions typed out every time he said he'd bring all these questions to him and he'd, he'd take one question he'd say I don't know the answer to that one and then he'd say the next he'd "Say I don't know the answer to that one and he'd say now I'll try to get answers to these if I can next week and the next week he'd come back he might have a few answers he'd say I couldn't find the answer to a lot of these so sorry if that helps you if that makes you think Christianity is not viable then you'll have to kind of move in that direction you're just investigating and he said you know what it made me want to meet with them because I thought if I were meeting with someone that I thought knew it all I wouldn't trust them And so, you know what? I loved to hear him say, I don't know. You know, we just, we fail to understand this thing called failure. We really do. Let me give you one last reason. And then we look at God's truth. One of the reasons is because we focus on our inadequacies. And anytime we focus on our inadequacies, we cannot focus, but on one thing, we can't focus on God's adequacy. Moses is a brilliant illustration in this. The story of of Moses in the early chapters of Exodus, God is calling him as the leader of Israel, his people, to lead them out of bondage from Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, the very leader of all of Egypt, and to say, let my people go. And Moses says, Lord, I can't do that. He says, sure you can do it. Ah, I can't do it. God said, yes, you can. He said, see the staff in your hand? He said, yeah. He said, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground. It becomes a snake. And he gets all afraid. God said, don't be afraid. Pick it up. And so, you know, with great fear, he picks up that snake. It becomes a staff. He steals it. God says, all right, take your hand. Stick it in your bosom. Sticks it in his clothing in there. Pulls it out. It's leprous. He says, put it back in your bosom. Puts it back in. Pulls it out. Healed. He said, Do you understand that I'm the one that you need to trust, not you? And I can work through you. You just go. And do you know with that, he still says, I can't do it. He's so focused on his inadequacies. In chapter 4, verse 10, this is a verse we read after all that's taken place. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in past time, time past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Most believe that he had a speech impediment and probably made him focus on himself so much. He said, I can't go. I can't do it. I can't do it. And even after this, what is so amazing is God's grace and God's goodness. It truly supersedes his disappointment and even his anger because we see God was angry at his response. But oh, the goodness of God. And God says, okay, you see your brother there, you see Aaron? We'll use Aaron. He's a good communicator. It's not the best, but I'll use him. And by the way, if you follow, you know there are consequences when we fail to obey God. There are big consequences. If you go to the 32nd chapter, you see that Moses is away getting the law of God, he's gone too long in Aaron's viewpoint. And what does Aaron do? He calls a meeting. He says, Throw all your stuff in here, your silver and gold. Let's let's make a or put all your gold in and let's make a golden calf. It was a bull. You know why a bull? God, our leader's gone, and we need to see God. We need to remember God's power right now. We need power. And God says, Are you going to break one of my commandments to see my power? Do you not realize that it's so reductionary, a graven image? Do you not realize that what you're doing is your You're falling into a reductionary view of me, and where's the mercy in a bull? Don't you do that. And let me tell you, Aaron got Moses in all kind of trouble and problems and pain, and he was a burden. You see, God's best is to trust in him. And as a result, he didn't, and he feared. Feared that failure. So now let's look at the how. How do we overcome that? Here's where you need to turn to Exodus 14, if not there. We'll begin in verse 10 through 15. Moses has come a long way now, and he has now taken the people out of Egypt, but they're in front of a sea now. You know the story. And there's mountains on one side, and there's the army coming from the other. They're being pinched in. There's nowhere to go except across the water. And so now he's going to have to speak to a grumbling people who can't believe God. They do not know the adequacy of God. But something's happened to Moses. He begins to focus not on himself, but on God's adequacy. It reads like this. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, it is because there were no graves? Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, "Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians"? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now we come to verse thirteen, and here's where we're going to find our teaching very quickly today. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by or stand firm, as some translations say, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent or literally be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And with that, we have the reading of God's word. What I like to do is explore here somewhat of a prescription. I don't want to use that word sometimes because it makes it so trite. But he does give us some insights in here to how to deal with with fear. This is how he begins it. In verse 14, he's going to tell us, or 13, he's going to tell us, fear not. It goes like this. But Moses said to the people... Do not fear. Now, when he says don't fear, uh, what does that mean? I mean, are we just going to say, okay, I'm, I'm fearful right now, and you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to quit being fearful. Oh, that feels so much better. No, I don't think that's what it means. However, literally, if you put this in New Testament terminology, it would say, take it off like clothing. I've got on clothing. Take off that clothing. He's saying, take off your fear. Well, how do you do that? Always know this. We're talking about an emotion, a paralyzing emotion here. The only way to deal with that is to replace it with something else. This is an admonition to trust. And he's not going to stop by simply saying, fear not, period. He's going to say, fear not. And then he's going to give us insights in what we do to make sure we don't fear and I'll give you this hint it is replacing fear with trust and the thing that drives that fear out is called love if you find yourself in fear know that there is an absence of love somewhere that you have got to address and then it comes back to trust which takes away fear so If you look at 1 John 4.18, it begins by saying there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There it is. So always remember that. If you've got a fear issue, it is an issue of the absence of something that is important. It's trust and fear is what's going to drive the fear or the uh, 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 love is going to drive the fear out and it's going to enable the trust. Now, He's going to, in a sense, from there, give us three things that we need to be focused on. The first is stand firm and see, or um, different text, uh, put it this way. Look at verse uh, fourteen, thirteen. It says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Stand firm. Literally, what he's saying is, don't give in to your fear. There are some of us that say, it's made me afraid. Whenever I hear somebody, the, he made me mad. This event made me afraid. So no, 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 no. That person did something and you chose to be angry at what they did. Oh, no, 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 no. There is an event that is a fearful thing in your mind and you have chosen to be fearful. That is your choice to do that. Don't say, I can't help it. It just happens. Therefore, no, it's your job. Stand firm and see. And I want you to use the word see to remember this, what I'm going to call, let's say, the first of three things. See, next you're going to hear listen, and thirdly, move. And when you face your fears this week, that'll be the simple, easy remembrance to come back. Am I seeing? Am I hearing Am I moving correctly? What he's really saying here is he's saying, see what God will do. Now, I understand on the text that stand firm, don't leave, don't run away from this place. Stay right where you are and watch what God's going to do in delivering you from the Egyptians. And so in a matter of time, they would see that. But by commentary in the New Testament, we know that he's talking about more than just watching the event as it unfolds. He's really saying, I want you to see the unseen right now. I want you to see from the eternal perspective. I don't want you to see simply from the temporal. And that's what we have to do when fear strikes us. We have to think, okay, what does the eternal picture say? So I'd like you to look at Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, and this is how it reads. It's a commentary on this very event that we've been reading about. By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Him there is God. We're talking by faith. Look at verse 29. Same text says, by faith, there it is, seeing the unseen. They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Again, seeing the unseen. Can I show you one other text here? And that's 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. So what happens? We have a resolve not to fear, but you're afraid, I'm afraid. What do we do? First thing is see. See the unseen. And start saying, okay, God, what is your your story in this? what have you got for me in this and to remember because we got to remember this folks it is such a misnomer to believe that if we are seeing God and what he has for us and we're trusting in him then wherever we move whatever we do is going to be successful in the sense we'll have the results that we want well that's true if it's written in the word of God God spoke to these people and said I will split the seas you will go through on dry land so no question there but sometimes it's a vocational choice, nothing in the Word of God. It's a personal choice. Do I marry this person or not? They're a Christian. Qualify as a marriage partner, but is it the right? And I don't know. And, and how many times I've heard this. You know, I, I prayed about it. I got counsel. Everything in me sensed I was the right. I was prompted to do the. I chose what I thought the Lord would be honored by doing. And I took this job or whatever it is. And oh my goodness, all hell broke loose when I got there. It was the worst job I couldn't, oh my goodness, it was the worst. I realized I missed the will of God and I want to cringe when I hear that. I got married to this person and I I prayed and I thought it was right, but you know what? It's been such a hard marriage. I missed the will of God. I say, no, you didn't miss the will of God. Learn this. Whenever you do that which you think to be the will of God, not in Scripture, it's something beyond. You don't violate Scripture. You think you're doing that which honors him. You do it with right motives. You can still fail, but always better off because of your failure. You can see it in Scripture throughout. You can see it in your personal life experience. You watch it. I can tell you story after story. This church's greatest failures have led to the greatest, I mean the greatest assets this church has ever known. See, it's process. God has plans in process, and we forget that. If that weren't the case, Apostle Paul missed it a lot of times. He goes in Jerusalem and gets stoned. He says, oh, man, did I miss the will of God? I should have gone to a different city. This was wrong. No. God had it all planned for the good of his kingdom and the good of his people. So we got to see, and that's the second we have to see. Thirdly, We have to be still or silent. And I'm going to use the word listen. We've got to listen. Exodus 14, 14 reads this way. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The idea there is literally to wait on the Lord, in a sense, to listen to his promptings. What what does God want in this? Read the scriptures. Find what it says. Get the, the sense of what would be the best choice to be made. And remember, let God do for you what you think he would have you to do let him do it for you in his ability in his in his power the things that you can't do for yourself that's trust so listen carefully stop long enough to listen and then we come to the fourth and final it's move on interesting it says in verse 15 then the lord said to moses why are you crying out to me tell the sons of israel go forward it's kind of interesting it's like be still be quiet And then he turns and says, move on. Why are you sitting still? You get a sense that God had finished and he'd said, this is, all right, I've made it clear. Now, what else do you need? It's it's clear this is the right choice. This is the best thing. Now, you know it's time to move. So just move on. By faith, move on. Some of us just hang and wait till everything is so perfect. No, when you sense it's right, move along now I don't know your stories I can tell you one of the stories out of my life where I feared failure so much that it nearly derailed me and in many respects this church I had I had been trying to lead this church through something we believed to be the will of God we truly did leadership agreed we're all moving to relocate this church from where we were to this place We realized that we had to sell the place that we had on Spalding Drive. We had to sell it in order to have the monies to try to buy this property. It was going to put us in limbo for a few years. We were going to have to meet somewhere. And we finally ended up in a warehouse. But we knew we couldn't stay in that warehouse forever. And it was not ideal. And so we had to get relocated. But the question was, could we purchase this property or not? So we sold that property got the monies for it that we needed to help us in the purchase of this property. And it was during that time that we were in that effort, fundraising and otherwise, that I began to have a something unusual. I began to have a sense of prompting, leading, that God was calling me away from this church. I never had that happen before nor since. And I found myself weeping and more than crying more than Carol had seen me crying. She's saying, what is going on? And I said, Carol, I, I think God's calling us away from this place we love. So I had to go on a getaway trip and I was away and thinking and praying. And during that time, I was very convinced and I came back certain that was the right thing to do. I happened to stay over with a friend the night as I was driving from Florida and I stayed with a, a friend in their home just to break down the trip. And as I was, this happened to be a good friend that I had played tennis with for years. He'd really gotten me into tennis. And he was a tennis pro in the community there. And, and, uh, and I just, we just loved playing tennis together. I'd never beat him in my life. And it was highly unlikely that I ever would. But uh, I'd set it as a goal. I said, Lord, you know, I want to I beat this guy one day. Get, you know, that's, that's going to be my man. I don't want to keep going. So I knew it was unlikely. But we pr- played that evening that I got there. We went out to the courts. We played. And he probably played the worst, worst match of his life, and I probably played the very best I'd ever played. And I then even barely beat him. But I beat him, and I was so excited. I'd beaten him. And so we got ready to go to bed, and he said, all right, Pope, we're not going to allow this. this. Something's wrong. That can't happen. You can't beat me. So we're going to prove that tomorrow morning, and we're going to have a rematch in the morning before you leave. And I told, you told me when you were leaving. I know there's time. I said, there's no way in this world I'm playing you tomorrow morning. <laughs> In fact, I will probably never play you again. <laughs> the last will be a victory. And uh, he got me up early that next morning. He says, Come on. And he drugged me out of the courts. And we played, and he beat me six love, six love. Now, I know some of you don't know tennis. Love is not good in tennis, okay? <laughs> I mean, zero. I didn't win a game. 12 to zero, he beats me. We get finished, he looks at me and he says, You know what? He said, have I've seen you play bad but I've never seen you not try. I don't think you were trying today. What's the deal? And I remember feeling, I I just got to be honest. And I said, I'll tell you what the deal is. The deal is, is that I've been afraid to fail. And and I, I knew that if I played you, you'd probably beat me. But I thought if I play but don't try, I can at least tell myself when I leave, who knows, I didn't even try. Of course he beat me when I didn't try. I said, it's just nothing but fear of failure. And that's something I'm grappling with. I get in the car and I start driving home and it's like the Lord spoke to me. And it was the words, not literal words, but I mean, I sensed God was saying to me, Randy, I'm not called you away from this place. You're just fearing the failure at hand. And I've called you to walk through and to stay with it. It's the process that counts. And I knew that. I wrote in my journal, probably the next morning, but I wrote in my journal these words, using the analogy of this text that we're in now. I've led our church to the seashore. There's no way out. And Pharaoh's army is getting closer and closer. I'm sure the troops are beginning to wonder uh, whether the water is going to part. My confidence in my ability to get the people across the sea has vanished, and that's good. But in light of the diminished confidence, I have found myself both frightened and discouraged. Part of my fear is my growing concern that the closer Pharaoh gets, the more unwilling our congregation might be to stand in faith, to see the waters part. I knew that we probably wouldn't be able to get the property. It was pretty much evident that it wasn't going to happen, that we were going to be in limbo. And I knew a lot of people would be discouraged. They'd say, oh, is this the leadership of this church? And they'd leave the church, and then we'd be literally high and dry. I don't know to, com- to finish though, but I am committed to leading them across the waters. And I knew in my mind that didn't mean to success as I would call success. Not that it was going to work. I didn't think it would. Not all of us will go, not all will go with us, but win or lose, knowing that losing is now a possibility in the will of God, we're going to finish the race. And that's when the process becomes as important as the result. Now that's my story. That's just one illustration of many and I know you've got your story. By the response in the other services so far, I know it's the, it's the story of a lot of you. Somebody came up and said, I'm, I'm so fearful. I'm, I'm going to lose my job, and this is what's happening. And I could just tell you story after story. I don't know if it's God saying to you, I want you to love and to stick with your spouse And I know that he or she is not the ideal for you in your mind, but there are no biblical grounds. You watch me work. Stick with it. And we fear, oh, what might that mean? Maybe it's a new business venture. Maybe it's saying no to perhaps what you might see as the last and only opportunity To get married, but this person is not the right person. You don't sense it's right. And God's saying, Don't fear singleness. Trust me with it. Or maybe it's a it's an immoral pleasure, something that you're engaged in. Say, I don't think I can be happy without it. I just I I just got to have it. And God says, Would you trust my adequacy to take care of you? Don't know what it is, but it's see, hear, move on I would suggest that if I stop here not good I haven't talked power and I can simply tell you it's the power of God's spirit it's the power of the gospel it says in the scripture for the gospel is the power of God into salvation and let me tell you what that says is this it's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves it's acknowledging that It's not salvation out of darkness into light only. It's salvation within the light. It's called sanctification. And I have to have God for that. And it's learning I'm a failure without him. I've got to have him. And with him, I am success because I have his righteousness given to me. Seeker, go to the cross. And you see his love. He died so that we might have his righteousness. He died so that he might take our sin Always go back to the cross. Remember the power of the spirit that's in you. Rely on him. And then simply, as you see the fear coming, you just remember, see, listen, move on. And watch what happens. Trust will replace that fear. And love will drive it out, the love of Christ. As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the love that you have that your son has displayed on the cross. Thank you for the freedom to be able to see our own moral failure and say, I am a failure. And only then finding the success of a true righteousness given to us. Grant that to hearts right now that are without you. Grant it to those of us that are Christians that need the power to obey. May we not fear. May we trust. Give us the love to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.